Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Ibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium, and we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is ZibbyOwens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Kate Everly Walker is the author of The Good Boss, Nine Ways Every Manager Can Support Women at Work. Kate is the CEO of Presence Learning, the leading provider of online special education services for K-12 schools. In this role, she leads a majority female employee population whose mission it is not only to serve students with learning needs, but to provide a flexible career path for more than 1,500 special education clinicians, many of whom are working mothers. Kate took on her first CEO role at age 39 at the Princeton Review. Before becoming a CEO, Kate navigated the male-dominated world of Wall Street as a Goldman Sachs investment banker for five years and then worked her way up through management roles. She offers straight, tell-it-like-it-is advice to her fellow managers and is an approachable and relatable mentor to younger women who she regularly supports and advises on career decisions. She is the author of The Good Boss. Enjoy. Welcome, Kate. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss The Good Boss, Nine Ways Every Manager Can Support Women at Work. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited with you. So Kate, tell everybody a little bit about your background and how you sort of escalated quickly up the ranks to becoming, you know, head of your business and running companies and how you ended up writing this book. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So (laughs) I started, well, I started out working on 
Wall Street. So, you know, connecting the beginning to the end, a, a very male dominated first work experience, or even my undergrad experience. I majored in finance and accounting and loved working with numbers, went to work in investment banking at Goldman Sachs. I loved it. I ended up working there five years. And then I went to business school and afterwards continued to work in finance in mergers and acquisitions, but found my way, fortunately, to the education industry through that work. So, Washington Post Company was one of my favorite clients when I was in banking. And then I went to work directly for the company, which happened to have bought and was growing Kaplan, which over the years I was there became this very large education business. And I got to be a part of buying and selling and investing in education companies and kind of learned learned not only how to do deals, but, you know, learned about this industry and, you know, sort of formed my point of view about what made for a good business in education. And I was at a point in my career where I started to recognize that I wanted something a little different. I, my, my opinion about what makes for good business had gotten, you know, perhaps a little too strong to be satisfied with only investing in and buying companies and kind of being behind the scenes. I wanted to do it myself. I thought I could do it myself. And I was really lucky. I met someone who became this really pivotal person for me in my life, in my career, a woman named Mandy Ginsburg, who at the time was the CEO of Tudor.com, working within IAC, Barry Diller's company. And she she met me and she recruited me to come work with her to, to figure out how to build a big education company within IAC. And that decision, like, like we had one conversation, we just really connected and she said, I feel like we should work together. And I felt like she's something I want to go work for. It was a decision. And she, you know, thanks to her, she, she kind of gave me this new opportunity. I learned from her. I said at one point, you know, I want to do what you do. I, I want to be your successor in this company. And an opportunity came up after about a year of working together and having acquired the Princeton Review together where she was called upon to return to her origins in the world of online dating. And she became the CEO of the Match Group. And I got promoted to CEO of Princeton Review and Tudor.com and all of a sudden I was a CEO. So it was actually at that point when I first became a CEO, I remember, I'll always remember my first day on the job because I'd been in the company for a while then and the CFO. And, you know, one day I walk in and now I'm the CEO and people treated me so differently, even though they already knew me, they listened differently. They, you know, sort of deferred differently. And, you know, I just, I felt a different presence in the room and I started to recognize the, the power that you really have when you're getting a company and how much you can then define what kind of company is this going to be? What are our meetings going to be like? What, you know, who is going to have success here? Whose voices are going to be heard? And I started thinking really hard. I was feeling the responsibility of what that meant and, you know, what I should do with it. And, and I think, especially when you're a woman and you're a female CEO, because there are still not that many in the grand scheme of things, right? It's like 5% of Fortune 500 CEOs are women. So when you're a woman and you're a CEO, you get asked for advice by a lot of other women, younger women about, you know, who, who want to get ahead about, you know, how did you do it? Did you do what should I do? And so I, I heard myself giving advice to these women that I realized at some point I, I just hated. Like I, like I had gotten ahead by by changing, adapting, even hiding certain parts of myself to fit in to these 
workplaces that were really designed by men for men. And so I was telling other younger women, like, this is how you do it. This is how you maneuver through men's world. And it struck me, you know, what if instead I gave all these managers advice on how to adapt themselves to a workforce that is diverse? Because it's no longer okay to have workplaces that are designed by men for men. And so that's the book that I that's, that's what this book is. It's advice for those managers on what they should do differently, what they should say and do, what they should not say and not do to create more inclusive workplaces, support women. Amazing. And you outlined so many great things. And I loved, you have like little bullets at the end. So for people who don't have time, which I'm always looking for, mm-hmm. <laughs> excellent finds that you have like all the things at the end of the chapter. I loved your whole, well, there were many parts, but like, the fact that women are emotional beings is just not something that you can overlook, right? Like, and I flash back to all the many times I've cried in bathrooms at work when I used to work in an office. And I think that's probably why I didn't like working in an office. I was like, (laughs) I I like crying at home in my bathroom because then nobody, nobody really notices. But, (laughs) but just that, that it doesn't mean you're necessarily like any less good of an employee or, or, or weak or anything. It's just that like women have different emotional responses to things. And if you're managing women, that's something that you should know is just one of those basic things to have some empathy and and sensitivity towards. Yeah. Cause it, it doesn't mean anything. Well, I mean, it's, it's a thing. I mean, I was blown away when I was doing research for this book and found this stat that, that women are biologically 4.5 times more likely to cry at work. So that's just, that is what we're up against as women. And I've cried. I mean, I tell, you know, a very small portion of the that I have and heard from other women about times, times that we've cried, times that I've cried. I also talk a lot about times that I've cried on the subway. I, I cry everywhere. And, and it's, it's part of, you know, caring about your work and being invested in your work. And sometimes that's, that's the physical reaction you have. And so I think that, you know, the woman that I spoke to when I was writing this book was telling a story about like worst thing was, you know, she was told that she wasn't getting emotion she thought she was going to get. And she started tearing up and was like fighting, 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 like I'm going to cry. She kind of hit the point where it started. And the, the guy, her manager who was talking to her did like the worst thing ever. He, he was like, are you okay? And it's like, ah, don't ask, are you okay? Just like, let it be. Let it be. That's how I feel like when I stub my toe or something, and people are like, are you okay? Well, it's obvious I'm not okay. <laughs> like I just, you saw me walk into a wall and now like, exactly. you know, like my whole like blood pressure is up. And so, you know, exactly. no, I'm not okay. Yeah. And that's even worse, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Okay. So there's so many other things. Oh, even your introductory chapter where you talk about, oh, and just the way you said this was so good. There was a fatal flaw in my approach. I was stuck in the mindset that women needed to learn how to adapt themselves to their environment to be successful. I was trying to change the way women played the game to find a smarter way for them to spin the wheels so that they could land on the right squares on the board. What I needed to do instead was ask how we could change the game. So great. And then just a couple other, even, okay, call her by her name, that whole chapter, which by the way, my name has been mispronounced like more times than I can even tell you, like at least twice a day. So I value that one a lot. And even how you were saying, would you say like uh, someone calling you dear or sweetie? Young lady. Young lady. Young lady. That's right. Young lady. 
And, and so many women, I, I would venture to say all women have at least one story like that of somebody in a work context calling them sweetie or honey or a young lady. And it is so, it's, it's so disrespectful. It's also just extremely distracting. Like the, the story, I t- my young lady story that I tell for me, the thing that I can't, I can't forget is just how much it like hung over the rest of that meeting that I was in. I mean, it really did keep me from being productive. In that case, it was in a deal discussion where, you know, it was late for my career. I actually did have the power to make the deal happen or not. The deal ultimately didn't happen. And it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't exactly out of spite for being called young lady, but I, you know, I know that was a factor that it just, it, it, it impacted focus and I, you know, my ability to, you know, really engage in trying to get that deal done. It's sort of, you know, you had the scene at the table where the guy was sort of like leaning back arrogantly and not paying you any attention. And I feel like that often happens. I mean, this is so cliche, but like my husband and I went to a car dealer the other day and it was like the same thing again. I'm like, why don't you look at me? Like, why are you not right. looking at me? Who's to say I'm not in charge of this decision? Like, you know, what the heck? <laughs> I know, you know what? My husband and I still like, we still do this. You know, I like, I'm a professional negotiator. That's like what I've done for most of my career. I am not the one who, you know, represents us when we're buying a car, buying a house, anything like that. It's like, I'm, you know, like, you know, Japan, behind the scenes or like Sierra Bergerac, you know, sort of saying like, all right, you're going to say this, you're going to do this. But then my husband is the one to to say it because both just learned that it's going to be received differently. We're going to get a different outcome. And maybe that's why I keep getting in trouble because I insist on being the one who's insisting, (laughs) but you know, at some point, you know, we've got to flip these things around. Maybe maybe I'm the one I should be, I should be you know, forcing and pushing it through, but it's still, it's, it's frustrating. And a lot of them do that. That I was just talking to a woman in my doctor's office the other day I was telling, she was, you know, all kind of up in arms because her, her handyman was supposed to fix something. And she told all of the things that needed to be done and he hadn't done them. And her husband repeated it. And all of a sudden it was done. <laughs> so crazy. Although I have to say in my house, my husband tells me that same thing. He's like, how come when you ask for the window or to be replaced, somebody listens. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> it depends on the dynamic. But and right, this goes to right. your next rule, like what don't ask, what does your husband do? Because, well, why don't you talk about that one a little bit? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishful podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. So sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic Tongue Twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Yeah. So, so that rule, don't ask, what does your husband do? This is, this is interesting because I found in talking about the book and the rules, people, people get a little thrown off. They're like, well, but your last rule said that I should, I should relate to people and I should, you know, get to know them. So, but now you're saying, don't ask, what does your husband do? And so, so, okay. So to, you know, be clear about what does that rule mean? It's not that you shouldn't be interested in a woman's family and, you know, family life and, you know, what goes on in her household. It's that you shouldn't draw conclusions about her mm-hmm. and her career ambition or her income needs based on what her husband does. And the truth is that when that question is asked, the way it's asked, it often is not really just because you're interested in getting to know her. It's asked by recruiters. It's in interviews. And, you know, the person who's asking is making a judgment or drawing a conclusion about, you know, what that means for your commitment to this job. Or, you know, if your husband is an investment banker, does that mean you'll take a lower salary? It's it's those kind of contexts where you've got to be really careful because what her husband does really doesn't have anything to do with what she wants to do, what she's capable of doing and what is appropriate to pay her for doing the things, yeah. right? And, and, and I, to this day, get asked for it. When uh, the last time I was interviewing for CEO jobs, I was surprised how often people ask that question or sometimes it was like, who takes care of your children is another question that I got where like, they're trying to figure out, mm-hmm. can you do a job this big in these different ways where, you know, I just always remind like, you don't, you know, trust, trust me. I like, I do have two yeah. children yeah. Oh, and them. I make sure that I, I make sure they are cared for <laughs> yeah. at all times. They're aware of my job and my work <laughs> and, you know, I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. <laughs> oh my gosh. And that also goes to your watch the clock chapter where you so like, intelligently point out that like, you can't just keep somebody waiting. You had the one scenario where you were like rushing home to get to your kids and relieve your nanny and somebody just made you wait. And he was 30 minutes late and it's like, no, it's not a big deal. And you're like, well, it wouldn't be a big deal if like, I didn't have to get home and the nanny didn't have to like miss her train or whatever it is she had to do. And like, there are all these things that you line up that everybody should be. I mean, this is like for men or women, honestly, but that you can't take people's you know, even five minutes, it actually does yeah. make a difference sometimes. It, it makes really a difference. There's like this domino effect. I mean, I, I think this is a big part of why things got so hard so fast 
for so many families during COVID is that, you know, we all plan, plan our lives and our kids' lives and our schedules to have like very little margin Mm -hmm. for error. I mean, sometimes there really isn't even five minutes of margin for error. And so you're counting on this happens now and then this, and then this, and then this. And so when something is changed or added or moved, it's like, you know, like the hard collapses and, you know, it can be very, it can create a whole new kind of work to sort that out and to get things back into a balance that, that works. I think that's what, I mean, I, I felt that I know a lot of, a lot of working parents, especially working moms just felt this pressure in this past year, like the school schedule changed or, you know, your kids couldn't be where, you know, they normally would be at that time. And you got to figure it all out. You got to, you know, line everything up in a different way. And then your last, uh, your last section on like seeing her potential and, you know, praising her and seeing what she could do and finding new opportunities and building on her skill set and, you know, all of that sort of taking someone's, you know, all of their skills and like just finding a way to unlock them and keep them going within the confines of your organization is like so key. Yeah, I love what one of the CEOs that I interviewed for the book, Sam Yagan, who's most recently CEO of Shoprunner, he 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 t- he talked to me about his philosophy of of inventing jobs that that fit the person, and that you know he loves to sort of you know identify here here are these standout skills, and you know there's potential in that, so let's figure out like what's that job for you to make the most of that, rather than trying to you know fit people into rungs and, you know, career progressions and all of that, try to figure out how to, how to position people to make the most. And that a big part of that, it just starts with really telling people directly, like, you know, I think you do this really well. I think that you have a lot of potential here. Like if you, if you don't tell people, they, they won't know it. They won't assume it. There, there are these huge gaps in sort of perception of, in particularly for women, it shows in, you know, their own self-reviews, self-evaluations. There, there are real gaps in how women like think they're perceived versus how they are. And they really won't know how great you think they are if you don't tell them. I feel like you should team up with, have you read The Fifth Trimester? By yes. Smith Brody. Do you know her? Yes. Maybe I can. Yeah. Be, yeah. Oh, I love an introduction. Oh, I, don't know no, I, I want to put you guys in touch because I feel like you guys could put your heads together and come up with some really awesome, you know, even like on the you know, national level or just like reforms or I don't know. I just feel like you have. Yeah. Because there, there's yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I feel, yes. I feel like there's with, with that philosophy and how you could apply it to yeah. just create a better structure. Yeah. It's so true. And kind of really, I mean, overdue. I mean, it's crazy. You have to even say this in today's day and age, right? But you do it, you know, and it's like, so, and it comes across as like, you know, news, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, not to diminish the topic of your book, but it's just like, it should be, it, it, you know, how can people not understand this, but yet they have to be told and that's okay. You know, men are from Mars or whatever, but and, yeah. And, and again and again, right. I mean, I think another, another thing is just realizing that, you know, yes, we're still talking about all of these, these things. I mean, there's, you know, there, there was me, t- me too started mm-hmm. in 2017 and, you know, here we are nearly five years later, we are still having to point out all, all of the problems, right. challenges, and equities that exist in the workplace. Like we, you know, some, one thing's exposed and, you know, then 
Andrew Cuomo happens over here and this and that, right? There's always, there's always something. So figuring out how to break the cycle does, does seem to call for some, I don't know, some formality. Yes. Although I shouldn't have said that about men are from Mars because plenty of women manage other women. And honestly, some of my most complicated working relationships were women I worked for versus men I worked for in a way, because mm-hmm. they, I found some of the women, not all, I mean, I hope they're not listening, but <laughs> we're not as like direct, like my male bosses, yeah. like they might've made me cry, but they were direct. And if I did something good, I knew it. And if I did something bad, I definitely knew it. But I, I thought it was like easier to suss out, right? Like, why did she not invite me to this meeting versus that meeting? So, right. and now I'm a woman and I manage other women, which is weird to think about, but it's true. And like, this was still relevant for me, I mean, it's like, obviously I am one, but it is a good reminder all the time of how to, you know, well, yeah, that I mean, it's just a good reminder. It's a good refresher for anyone, even if you're a woman yourself. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think it does work. It, it works both ways and people do have different experiences. I mean, a lot of people have said that to me, like, you know, it feels like you're writing more to educate the male manager, but I had some female bosses that I feel could benefit from this. And I think that's true. I, th- I think I do write more with a male manager in mind because two thirds of all managers are men. And so, you know, that's the majority of the of the audience, but it's not the only audience. And a lot of this just comes down to being, you know, the more, the clearer you are in your communication, the more that you listen and pay attention to and adapt yourself as a manager to the, to what's going to work to support the people who work for you, you know, kind of flipping around that dynamic that you don't expect your employees to sort of bend to what you expect of them, but you, you're responsive to what kind of a person they are and, you know, what they need to feel comfortable speaking up is I think something that everybody can, can learn from. I mean, I still, I still learn every day. I mean, I'm still actively managing a lot of people and I continue to learn about how, you know, about things that I do that I didn't realize were, were alienating people or were not giving them, you know, enough opportunity to speak. I I try to, I just think for everybody should really, should really set as a goal for themselves. How, how can I make people comfortable telling me what they, what they think, because that that's where the value add is for any manager, for any kind of manager of anything, you really will be a better manager if the people who work for you tell you the truth. So now in addition to all that you do, you wrote this actual book. (laughs) So now you have a book, so now you're also an author. So what advice would you have on the author side for people who have never written a book before? I loved writing a book. I miss it. It gave me just a totally different kind of fulfillment in the day. I mean, for, you know, so much of my, really all of my day job work as a CEO involves other people. Like I'm not really being productive if I'm not talking to other people and engaging and, or at least like reading, responding to something, right? Like you're always interacting which for me as someone who, you know, like Myers-Briggs wise tests, like right down the line of introvert and extrovert, I spend a lot of my day extroverted. And so having this other side where I would have like a real professional reason to sit by myself and be reflective and, you know, produce something independently, I thought was amazing. And so whether, you know, whether you see yourself as a writer, an author or not, I think everyone can benefit from thinking about that balance that they have in, in their own and how they spend their time. And, you know, if you're, if you're not getting that reflective outlet 
somewhere, try it here. I, I found that after I had submitted my book manuscript, as, as you all know, there's a, there's a lag between when you finish your book and when the world receives your book. That for me happened during COVID. And I found myself just kind of, you know, it, it felt out of the blue at the time. I started thinking of these like more short stories and personal stories and, you know, memoir type memories in my head. And I started writing short stories, you know, not that long after I finished the book manuscript. And that's become this ongoing thing for me that I, you know, I, I don't know that I would have would have come to it if I hadn't, you know, created this kind of new working habit of, you know, I I like to spend time. It's fulfilling for me to spend time reflecting and writing it down and, you know, hoping that that somebody else will read it and and get something from it too. Awesome. So maybe we'll see a short story collection from you. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe they're building out. It started as like a couple and now they, yeah, they okay. keep turning out. If nothing else, my daughters really like reading them because they're like, you know, they're from different parts of my life from Aww. before I had, maybe most of them have been from before I had kids. And so, yeah, my daughters really like reading them. They're like, when are you going to do another one? So. That's really cute. Well, Kate, thank you. Thank you for helping everybody else out there become better bosses and thereby improving the quality of work life for everybody else. <laughs> so it's great that you took the time to write this and educate and clarify. And yeah, it was really great to chat with you. Same. Thank you so much. Thanks for reading the book. No problem. All right. Have a great day. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music.